Hello, and welcome to Women With Books. I'm your host, author, Lindsay Emery. I am doing a really quick intro this week. Um, I'm doing line edits for my next book, and um, so I just have enough time to drop in and say hi and, and get you this Tamsin interview. Oh, yeah, that's our guest this week, Tamsin Parker. But I just wanted to touch on a few important updates. One, I have a really awesome newsletter, and if you're not on it, you should be. Um, I'm really proud of it. It gives valuable content, like the direct links to all the episodes this month, or whatever month, <laughs> additional Q&A from guests, a sneak peek at next month's guests, and I try to give out recommendations of other podcast episodes that I've heard that might be about reading or interesting stories about women, so check it out at the link in the show notes. I also realize that I never really talk about any way to reach me or Women With Books besides our website, womenwithbooks.com, or our Facebook page, and that's because I am a busy working author and I don't have time to maintain a separate Women With Books Instagram or Twitter, but if you're on those platforms and still want to hang out with me, you can find me at Lindsay Emery on both. I think on Twitter I'm Lindsay underscore Emery, but you'll, you'll see me when you see me. And um, I also have a personal uh, Lindsay Emery or an author Lindsay Emery Facebook page. And on any of those, I always end up talking about books and writing and, and songs that I'm listening to. <laughs> so uh, yeah, come hang out with me at those places too. Now, as I've already spilled the beans, the guest this week is Tamsin Parker. Uh, she had an incredible release last week. We're going to talk all about it. She had two books come out on the same day, including one that I got to read, Fire on the Ice. Her books tore up the charts and became like instant bestsellers on Amazon. So go check those out. They're in the show notes. And the rest of the books she recommends at the good Goodreads link in the show notes. And now I have to get back to work. Uh, without further ado, here's my interview with the fabulous Tamsin Parker. Welcome to Women With Books. I have Tamsin Parker on the episode today. How are you, Tamsin? Good, thanks, Lindsay. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. Uh, we we had some, uh, already had some technical problems, but I think we're going to get those out of the way. And uh, we've got knocking on, can you knock on wood for me? <laughs> I shall. I shall. Okay. Here. There we go. Well, um, I am so excited to have you on because I feel like I kind of made a plea to the podcasting gods in the last um, episode of 2017 where I had Alexandra Houghton on. And uh, she was talking about her most anticipated books for 2018 and your new series, the Snow and Ice Game series, is that the right name of it? Yes. Yep. Was on her most anticipated list and we talked about you and we're like, oh, she'll never be on this podcast because she's way too busy. And then you reached out and said... That you weren't that busy? I don't know. <laughs> Do you have a break in your schedule? <laughs> um, it's not that I'm not that busy. Uh, <laughs> I I have quite a few things on my plate, but um, you know, part of being an author is um, reaching out to new audiences and talk to new people. And um, you know, I love the HBIC ladies, and we all help each other out. So I'm here. Thank you. Well, I am here for you and for your new books and all the new stuff you have coming out too. So if, um, 
I'm going to try and, and pump you for as much information as possible. So uh, your new series, Snow and Ice Game series, um, why don't you, for those that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So the Snow and Ice Game series is sort of halfway out. Books one and two are out, and books three and four are coming out on February 6th, and book five is coming out on March 6th. So they're all coming out super close together, um, which is fun, but also um, a lot of work. And I had to write them really close together. Um, But they were inspired by the Olympics. And one of the reasons they're all coming out sort of in a clump is that they're, they're scheduled right around the Winter Olympics. And I was talking with my editor and she and her team had been sort of dreaming up a wish list of books that they'd like to see. And one of the things she mentioned was, and this was right after the Summer Olympics. So okay. Michael Phelps. So 2016. Yep, 2016, summer 2016, right after the Olympics were over. And Michael Phelps, who's like dominant world-class swimmer, um, you know, and he has been for years and years. Um, he, you know, racked up his usual medal count <laughs> in Rio, but in one of his races, he got beat. And the guy who beat him um, was a young guy, and he was actually, um, he had met Michael Phelps when he was a kid. His name's Joseph Schooling. And Michael Phelps was already famous. He was already a dominant swimmer. And Joseph Schooling just thought that he was the greatest. And there's a picture of this little kid shaking, you know, giant Michael Phelps's hand. And all I could think of hearing this story was that is like a male, male romance waiting to happen. (laughs) Um, You know, because if they, they don't happen to swim for the same team, because I believe, um, Joseph schooling is from, oh no, I'm totally blanking on, on what country he's from, but he and Michael Phelps were not on the same team, but I got to thinking, what if they were, (laughs) you know, what if they had been on the same team and you have this, um, older experienced dominant person in their field and then you have this kind of young upstart who has looked up to this person and thought of them as a mentor and um, was really just inspired by them throughout their career. And what if they had to compete against each other? And that story turned out to be the basis for the second book in the series, Seduction on the Slopes, where that's exactly what happens. You have these two slalom skiers um, on the same team and... Yeah, it's a mentor-mentee situation, but it's also a rivals because they're competing in the same events, and um, they also get up to some bedroom shenanigans. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Was was this conversation with my editor? So deliciously, I don't know, competitive and <laughs> right. There are so many feelings. There's just so many complicated feelings and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's great about sports romance is you already have all of this sort of built-in 
tension and you already have these built-in high emotions and you know that the people who are competing at this level are incredibly driven individuals and all of that together I think makes really compelling stories just as a baseline. Yeah, incredibly driven individuals who have a lot of times put their personal lives on the back burner while they pursue these other interests in the prime of their teens and 20s and (laughs) even 30s. Um, So, you know, they might have some built up energy they need to let loose. (laughs) Yeah, built up energy and also, you know, I think that there's an interesting phenomenon with anybody who is really incredibly talented at one thing you know they a lot of times and this is by no means everybody but a lot of times you find with people who excel in a very specific field is that when it comes to a lot of other stuff they're kind of clueless Um, (laughs) one summer I worked for a program that hosts um, a lot of world-class scientists and it's a week where they all come together and they discuss their discipline and it's held at um, boarding schools and colleges throughout the Northeast and we had this man who would come into the admin office and he was a delight he was the nicest sweetest man and he was from Italy and he's you know top expert in his field like literal Nobel Prize winner and he would come in because he couldn't figure out how to use a phone card. Oh. And, <laughs> you know, it's, that has always really stuck with me. And like I said, it's, it's by no means everybody who is incredibly talented at one thing. But, you know, I think a lot of people who are very experienced and world-class athletes or academics or whatever they do excel in their one particular field and in other sort of life skills, ah, they might be a little lacking. And I think you do see that, you know, in, in Olympic athletes sometimes, because like you said, they have spent a whole bunch of their formative years practicing to become the best at one thing. And the rest of life sort of fell by the wayside a bit. So it makes for some really interesting character building because they're incredibly good at one thing and they can seem very sophisticated and yet at the same time they might have no clue about things that ordinary people are like, dude, that is not a big deal. So... (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, your publisher was very gracious and allowed me to uh, get my hands on, uh, I forget what the title of the one, I think it's the one that's about to come out, The Skaters. Oh, yes. Um, That would be Fire on the Ice. Fire on the Ice, yes. Blaze, because she's fire. Okay, I should have remembered (laughs) that. And and there's some of that, because one um, one of the main characters is a figure skater, and that she's considered to be you know this ice princess and she's living up to all these expectations that her country has for her that her family has for her and it you know even she has for herself um because some of it is is her personality is just a little bit more reserved 
uh, in some respects. And, um, but she can't really fully explore all the other sexuality issues in her life because she's been working so hard on, on these other things. So, um, with, I don't know, is that fair for me to say for that? Yeah, I haven't I, mean, I haven't I think... finished it yet, so that's why I'm like <laughs> it could be changing really quickly. <laughs> no, I think um, you know a lot of a lot of the Olympic athletes and a lot of you know world class athletes find themselves in this situation where they do spend so much time and so much energy devoting themselves to you know playing their sport and doing their conditioning and studying up tape and doing all of this stuff. And they don't get to have what people sort of think of as, quote, normal relationships, whatever that means. Um, but they, you know, they don't get to date a lot. And they may put everything else in their lives on the back burner um, in order to excel at, at this sport. And for Maisie, who is the figure skater, um, for her, that's definitely one of the things that's happened and it's made even more awkward by her parents not exactly being thrilled that she's queer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, they have this, they're very self-conscious. And that self-consciousness sort of extends to Maisie. And they sort of have this attitude of, don't call attention to yourself. And they sort of accuse her of um, almost using being queer as a way to draw attention to herself, um, which is ridiculous. Um, she's, like you said, she's fairly reserved, and I don't think that she would do anything to call attention to herself unnecessarily, and it's just who she is. And so for them to sort of say that is it's really hurtful to her and she has a difficult relationship with them and some of the few times that she can sort of be away from them and feel more free when she goes to competitions that's when she finds a chance to explore and uh, I think athletes tend to be pretty comfortable with their bodies and a little more maybe open about what their bodies can do in all contexts than a lot of people are. And so she finds it easier to, to be among other athletes and away from her family. And, and that's when she really kind of lets loose in that way. Yeah. One of the things I really love, and I was going to save all this discussion for later, but I'm going to go ahead and dive in right now. <laughs> um, one thing I really love about Blaze and Maisie is that um, they do appreciate each other's physical physicality their athleticism and I don't think that I've ever read a um maybe not even a romance I mean looking at a because maybe it's underlined because these are two females but looking at female bodies and like they're athletic and strong and and thick and muscular and flexible and they are really loving that about each other um that I don't think I've I've really read in another sports romance because we haven't had that many female female sports romances <laughs> yeah I mean I um, think even in male female sports romance it's difficult to think of any that have female athletes um, it's almost by default 
the the heroes who are the athletes and not the heroines. And for me, that was one of the reasons why I I wanted to write, um, you know, a, a crossover series. But also, um, if you look at all of the books in the Snow and Ice Games, all of the heroines are athletes, all of them, um, but not all of the heroes are. And that was not exactly purposeful on my part, at least not having the the heroes not all be athletes, but having the heroines be sort of strong athletic women was, was one of my goals with the series because so many times we read books and, you know, women are appreciated for for being thin or for having curves in all the right places or, you know, I think we have sort of an image in our mind from a lot of books out there about what women are supposed to look like. And I think women who do have more athletic bodies um, sometimes get left out of that. And that's a real shame because they're awesome. (laughs) Like, look at everything that their bodies can do. And that was one of the things that was important to me as well was to have the heroes who are with these athletic women really appreciate their their bodies for being beautiful and being capable um, and just sort of being in awe of them. Um, And I was really fortunate that my cover designers at SMP Swerve um, let my athletes look like athletes on the cover. You know, um, they all have muscles. They all have biceps. They all um, look like they could kick someone's butt, um, (laughs) which I was pretty excited about. Holy cow. I know. I was watching, um, it was a few weeks ago, we had on the Olympic trials for short track speed mm-hmm. skating, which is, is Blaze's event, right? In yes. this book. Yep. And I guess I'd never really spent a lot of time thinking about it or watching it or something, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it going, dang, you know, like all this sport is, is hamstrings and glutes and abs like Mm -hmm. and you've got to have you know some serious muscles all over to to win this sport so um I can really appreciate that but that leads me to my next question is how much research did you do in all these sports so you could figure out where all the right muscles went (laughs) (laughs) I mean some of it was just the the real hardship of um looking at pictures of athletes (laughs) to figure out um what you know, what their body tapes were. So that mm. was that was really difficult, was looking at pictures of all of these attractive and athletic people. Um, yeah, that was super, super hard. Um. <laughs> well, and for the snow and, or snow and ice games, look, I'm calling it snow and ice games, or winter Olympics, whichever one, um, a lot of times they're all covered up. And they've yes. got big bulky jackets on and jumpsuits or, you know, whatever. And you can't really see the finer details (laughs) yeah I mean luckily a lot of them do sort of wear the um skin tight suits um you know with your speed skaters and your slalom skiers and um you know the the figure skaters especially the female figure skaters it's it's easier to get an idea of what they look like um but with like snowboarders you have no idea um and even those 
those skin tight suits sort of, um, you know, don't give you a great idea about definition of muscles. Well, and we're seeing it 2D on a screen and it's, if it's a black matte suit, you're never going to be able to see it. So I think you need to, to take a trip and uh, check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I am fortunate that some of the athletes are pretty open about their, their bodies and proud of their bodies and show them off. So I, I could do a little more research. Um, my probably favorite athlete who I'm going to be rooting for real hard, um, in the games coming up is her name is Katie Oolander and she, her event is skeleton and this is her fourth Olympics. And she was actually my inspiration for blaze. And oh. Yes. So she's, she's in skeleton. She's not actually a speed skater, but I think those sports have a lot in common in terms of, I mean, in skeleton, you are literally racing down a tube of ice going like 85 miles an hour, um, face first on a (laughs) tiny little sled. So you have to have you know, a uterus of steel to be doing that. <laughs> like you, you cannot be, you know, a shrinking violet. You, you've got to really put yourself out there and be brave and be willing to put yourself on the line. And, um, she also um, has done some photo shoots where she's not always in her uniform. And so you do get an idea of, you know, under her uniform and under her street clothes, like what, what it takes to be an athlete. And there are some photos of her where, you know, you just look at her abs and you're like, Jesus woman, you could grate cheese on those things. (laughs) (laughs) It is out of control. Um, But yeah, it's really, they, a lot of the athletes do have really different body types, you know? Um, And I sort of compare the, the speed skating thighs are sort of like rugby thighs. Um, you know, and those just, I could drool over those all day. Um, but aside from that kind of research, (laughs) which, which again, real hardship. Um, so I, I took one for the team there, but aside from that, I, I ended up watching a lot of YouTube videos of previous events. And I also read a lot of rule books about certain sports. Because, um, you know, I, I love watching the Olympics, but I'm not an expert. I've never, you know, seriously competed in any of the sports that I wrote about. And so I did have to do quite a bit of research in terms of what the rules were um, and what kind of equipment got used. And some of it, you know, for the sake of storytelling, I, I wasn't always completely true to what I had learned. Um, But I think one of the things that you can discover from especially the YouTube videos of certain events is there are certain moments when like the tide turns almost, you know, these are turning points in the event and they can also serve as turning points in the story. And there are certain moments that really catch your attention and for me I would watch those 
And sometimes it was a matter of a few seconds. And I would watch those moments over and over and over and over again, um, just to sort of get a feel of what was happening, like what parts of their bodies were there, were they moving? What were they trying to accomplish? Like what would happen if that went wrong? How, how did it affect their performance when it went right? You know, it was just really these very powerful turning points, um, that I paid a lot of attention to. Um, and that was, I think really helped me get into the minds of the characters who I was writing about. That's really interesting. And now that you, you describe it that way, I'm thinking about, um, you know, when they do the television broadcasts of the Olympics and a lot of people don't like it cause we don't get to see all minute by minute, of all the events right but what the producers are doing is they are doing a story for us and they are you know sure they're showing us backstories they're showing us you know the highs and lows of someone's career and then they're kind of following that and so they have really crafted the olympics into stories and it's just a series of you know i don't know a mini series of 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 mini sports romances if there was more romance in them um <laughs> well you don't but, have to look too far to find romance and to find great human interest stories in the olympics i mean you know just um well they always of... zoom they always zoom in on the family members or the partners or the or the or the mentors or the coaches and they show us those and so yeah it's always there right up front that these people are human and they have they have lives back home and people who have driven them to practices and people who have fed them lots of kale and <laughs> <laughs> kale and protein and yeah Ugh. and gotten up for stupid early morning practices to get to the ice rink and yeah and I always... mean it's it's not a single person you know yeah. it's really a team effort and now that we're kind of talking about it it, it does seem like though that women athletes do get I mean, I shouldn't really be this surprised. Um, you know, a disproportionate amount of interest in their looks or their bodies. Because um, they always have to point out if someone's had a baby, you know, course, or, yeah. or, you know, um, you know, if they married somebody or whatever. And, and then it's like, well, wow, they are, they're skiing again after having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and those athletes are probably like, I was in better shape at nine months than <laughs> than you've ever been in your whole right. life. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, obviously, like, we should celebrate that accomplishment, right? Like, I mean, you know, you and I both have children. We we both know what it's like to to have our, our bodies change that much. Um, and obviously, like, getting back into form where you can compete at the highest level of sport after something that drastic happens to your body is incredible. Um, but I do think there is a level of frustration <laughs> that comes with it, you know, that, that women's bodies um, do tend to be sort of public property in a way that men's aren't. Even when mm-hmm. we are talking about sports where, you know, well, men's bodies do get talked about, but I still feel like it is far more invasive and far more personal that people feel entitled to talk about women's bodies in a way that's different from the way that they talk about men's bodies. 
Yeah. Which, again, brings me back to Fire and Ice, <laughs> the book, <laughs> which I, again, I'm so enjoying it because, again, it's the, the because it's a female-female romance, they are looking at each other with no male, you know, viewpoint that that's, you know, clouding that up. And I, I'm really enjoying that. But I just realized I did not do research. And there's probably one question that everyone wants to know. Did you write a curling book? Oh, man, you know... <laughs> I didn't write a curling book. I There's... had originally when I... You can fit it into your schedule, Tamsin. I know you can. <laughs> well, I, I did make a promise to a reader, um, which was probably not my smartest idea, but um, I, I promised a reader who was disappointed that there wasn't a curling book that if if any of the Snow and Ice Games books, any of the SIG books hit list so if if i make it onto the usa today bestseller list that i i will write a curling book i will um because i had wanted to but um my my editor discouraged me from writing a curling book but editor was wrong (laughs) the world needs a tamson parker erotic curling book (laughs) i will do the best i can but i will say that in the meantime I know of a curling book that will be coming out. Please tell us. Yes. So Avery Cockburn, who has written the Glasgow Lads series of, um, well, they'd call it football and would probably murder me, but soccer. She writes soccer romance, um, MM soccer romance. And Avery Cockburn is writing a curling book, which should be out hopefully before the Olympics. But if not, I think it's, it will be released during the Olympics. So even okay. if I do not get the opportunity to write a curling book, look for Avery's because I certainly will be. I confession. would love to read a curling romance. I would too, because confession, this is one of those things that every four years I say I'm going to learn about. And then I don't. And then I, but we watch it. We all watch curling. We all and do. And we're not really sure what we're looking at. It's like cricket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a, there's a park near me where people play cricket every um weekend and I would love to just sit there and watch it and I don't know what I'm watching but they look nice in white uniforms and you know running it back and forth <laughs> I don't know. yeah I mean I think curling is part of it is you know we all sit there and go what are they doing <laughs> um you know it doesn't look like other sports that we're sort of accustomed to and um also I think for some of us you know I I'm never going to be a ski jumper. Like that's just scary. And honestly, it, it looks like they're all going to die. Um, You're too level-headed for that, Tamsin. I'm too level-headed. <laughs> I am very risk averse. And that just, you know, I never, never, ever, ever would I be a ski jumper. And I, I can't ice skate very well, much to my husband's dismay because he enjoys ice skating but it's it's just not my scene. But I think for some of us who are sitting there on the couch with with our glasses of wine or our spiked hot chocolate and we're watching the Olympics, I think we can sort of look at curling and go, you know what? I bet I could do that. <laughs> and I'm not saying that we actually could because I think it yeah. takes a lot of – it takes an incredible amount of skill and dedication but I think that the idea is that it it looks possible. Unlike when right. I look at 
you know, someone on the snowboarder. Or, oh my gosh. Or yeah, Sean White and his incredible qualifying run. You know, you look at these people and you're like, yeah, that's never going to happen. Um, but something like curling, which I think is, you know, it's intellectually challenging as well. And I think that sort of appeals to people who are who are more couch potatoes than weekend warriors. I, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from curlers. You're absolutely right. They they are Olympic athletes, and that is more than I will ever be. But it does seem like it's maybe a little bit more accessible that I could be in the Olympics and not have to throw myself off a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> or have to go rushing down a tube of ice at 85 miles per hour. Yes. I mean, yeah, like skeleton and losers and bobsledders. I mean, that's just... Yeah. Well, now that you're all done with snow and ice for now, has it wet your whistle for a sun sun and sand games series? (laughs) So I have talked about doing another series that's set at more of a, that's set at, you know, summer sports. So depending on how, on how the snow and ice games do, it's very possible that there will be a summer edition. So if you're looking forward to um, gymnastics or swimming, or um, I would love to do equestrian romance, um, you know, buy, buy, maybe buy some a... sing books. <laughs> yeah, do it, everyone, because I'm and thinking maybe my like publisher a... will, will let me do another set. <laughs> now, this is just really my way of getting like some um serena williams fanfic out there i mean i'll just be honest like i am there for that (laughs) like a woman who's come back from having her baby she's gonna get a gold medal and her husband's got you know champagne waiting for her that's basically all i want (laughs) (laughs) that sounds good to me where's my husband with my champagne (laughs) i know i'll hold the baby while you go win a gold medal yeah. Okay. You you obviously are better at coming up with the athletic storylines. <laughs> that doesn't have a lot of conflict in it now that I think about it. But um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about the series was, yeah, I think we've briefly touched on it, is that it's sports romance, but you have all different pairings in this series. And I was curious as to how that came about. Was that your idea? How... How did you come up with the pairings and why is it important to you to include all the the spectrum of LGBTQ uh, main characters? So when I was talking to my editor about this, I did make it pretty clear that um, it would be a crossover series, that it wouldn't just be MF romance. Um, or it wouldn't just be MM, um, partly because I, (laughs) I mean, for me, it's a, it's a values thing, partially, um, you know, everybody, there's not, love and sex is not limited to a certain sexuality, um, you know, and when you start talking about the, the LGBTQ, spectrum and yes there are people who are asexual and aromantic and I I don't mean to not include them at all but you know human relationships are just that they're human and so it was important to me to include 
yeah, lots of different pairings. And in terms of the sports, I mean, well, like I said, the, the sort of book idea that kicked it off was the MM book. So the, the Michael Phelps inspired book. Um, and then from there, it's kind of like, oh, well, here, here are the different things that I can do with that. Um, and it's about the different stories too. I mean, it's, it's more difficult to tell a story when, you know, having um, Miles and Crash from Seduction on the Slopes be on the same team just added a level of, of competition and angst that wouldn't have been there um, if, say, they were, you know, a man and a woman. Right, because Cause you wouldn't be on the same team. Well, you wouldn't be competing against each other, right? right? Oh, that's what like I meant, yeah. you could both be on the USA um, Alpine team, but you know, you winning a gold medal wouldn't mean that your partner could not. Whereas right. for them, that's exactly what it means. Um, and wait, so their H E A isn't that they share a medal? Ah, Lindsay, <laughs> don't spoil it, God. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry that's what I would do I would be like oh then they changed the rules and they came in first place together yeah that's... right that's kind of dirty the way I just said that Never mind. <laughs> I mean there, yeah there's you know um, anyway <laughs> yeah dirt, dirty stuff that's that's kind of yeah um yeah so I think too that sports is a really great venue to do that in and I I wrote an article about this and it hasn't gone up yet but I went to a girls boarding school for high school and that meant that the gym the track all of the athletic facilities all of the classrooms the whole dining hall all of the theater spaces everything everything at my school was for us you know, it was all for women. It was built for women. It was maintained for women. Um, you know, we didn't have uh, to give up our space and our time to men's teams. And that made a real impression on me, just having space for women. Um, and so often I feel like in high schools and in colleges, men get the better facilities or they get the better ice time or, you know, there's too frequently, I think it's not equal in terms of access to facilities or resources and being able to see female world, world-class athletes, um, you know, in the spotlight, I think is very, powerful. And if you're reading um, an FF sports romance, by definition, you are going to have at least one of the heroines be one of those athletes. So it's a promise that you don't necessarily get in an MF book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I read a book called Edge of Glory by Rachel Spangler. And 
that is a it's an ff book and it's olympic sports romance and it's about this sort of uptight uh (laughs) women's downhill skier who had been injured and is trying to make a comeback and her love interest is this snowboarder who she looks at and thinks oh my gosh like this person is kind of flaky like she obviously doesn't work as hard as I do like she has all of these preconceived notions because I think there's kind of a rivalry between skiers and snowboarders and I think skiers a lot of times don't take snowboarders very seriously and um they it's kind of a slow burn romance but they come to appreciate each other a lot and um I I really loved that all of all of it was centered on women you know all of the training and all of all of the effort was centered on women and that's that's really nice to see in in a world where women's wants and needs and desires so often sort of come in second place at best Mm. Yeah, I um in my previous life, um, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of work with Title IX athletics, and um, so yeah, I could, I could talk a lot about <laughs> this, but uh, this is not the right podcast for that. I'll have a women with uh, sports issue at some point, and you can come back on and we'll we'll vent about it. Um, so at the end of this, when they're all released, it's five books in this yes. series? Yep. All right. And it's all going to be released within like three months, correct? Yes. Three, so the months. first one came out December 5th. The second one came out January 16th. And I have a double release, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, I don't... Do you know anybody who's done that, who has two books come out in one day no and that is what i wanted to talk to you about tamson is is as you've already said these these are traditionally published with a a big five publisher and i mean maybe you should have you asked your editor if anyone's ever done this before are you like setting a world record (gasps) are you setting a world record i'm sure i'm not setting a world record because Pretty much any time you say, like, I'm the first to have done this in publishing, like, that is not true. That's true. Can we say, um, though, that you're setting a world record in releasing um, two sports romance books <laughs> in one day? Or maybe. Olympic sports romance okay. books? <laughs> yeah. We I need to find out. I feel uncomfortable making those kinds of declarations. I don't, Tamsin. Does... <laughs> <laughs> Tamsin's not saying this. I am. I... Lindsay and Marie. <laughs> Because but I yeah, wanted it's a people little... to, yeah, I wanted people to know these are this is not common, you know, not even just the two books in one day, but five books within three four months with a traditional publisher. This is very uncommon, and and um, everyone who hears it who's a writer is like, oh my gosh, how did you do this? <laughs> and so even though this podcast is geared towards readers, I I do think readers and writers would be interested in hearing, um, yeah, how'd you do it? How'd you graduate so fast? <laughs> sorry, I had to do that. Um, it was my parents' dying wish before they passed. No, I'm sorry. I have how, to You Hamilton had to write these. I know, me too. Time. That came way too easily. Yep. Um, 
Did you write them back to back? And how long did it take you to, to write all these? So, like I said, we we made this deal. Let's see. It probably got inked in, like, September of 2016. And then we had talked about it when when we made the deal that the timing on this was really important, right? Because the Olympics happen every four years. And while we couldn't use Olympics for legal reasons, um, I mean, it's, they're essentially sports that we see only during the Olympics for most of us. Um, So we're talking about winter sports romance. And so we very carefully plan to have these books come out right around the Winter Olympics um, and to have them all sort of, you know, anchor them around that. And so there's a few that came out before. There's one that's coming out after. But basically, I mean, (laughs) they're all in a clump around this very specific event. And in order to make that happen, um, I... I had to hand in one book every month. (laughs) Um, And these are, they're not really long books. Um, Most of them are between 55 and 60,000 words. So it's more category length than sort of my... It's a long category. (laughs) It's a long category because I just, I cannot even help myself. They they were supposed to be 45 to 55 and, you know, I would send my editor things that were 57 and my books always get longer in edits. So, um, yeah, but during the first, let's see, 2017 was was a year. Um, I handed in... Let's see, seven books in seven months mm. for the first seven months of 2017. And then and I handed another one in October. <laughs> and, in, and, and I know that a lot of other authors these days are writing a book a month. I mean, so, and that is, I wouldn't say as unusual as it used to be, but what's, what is the unusual part is that your publisher was working with you to get them out that fast. I mean, I think that that's what... Um, you know, traditional publishers are more than happy to let you take a year, you know, sometimes to write a book or six months and, and that they were also as committed to this project and to get them out by um, winter of 2018. That's, that's really great. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that they saw the potential of having a winter sports series that could be on bookshelves all over the place. True, true. Yeah. So a mutual friend of ours um, asked, told me to ask you about, quote, the spreadsheet of hell. And <laughs> Was that <I> Julia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wondered if you would know or how many people do know about the spreadsheet of hell. <laughs> Probably more people than would like to. <laughs> so what um. about this spreadsheet makes it deserve eternal damnation? So actually, I love my spreadsheet. I would not be able to do what I do without my spreadsheet. But looking at it is scary, Um, you know, because I have 
on my Google Drive, I have a spreadsheet that um, contains my, my writing schedule. So it has dates that books will be published. It has due dates for edits and copy edits. Um, it has how many words I need to write each day in order to keep up with what I'm supposed to be writing, which came in really handy when I was having to turn in those seven books during seven months. Um, and, you know, I have to take out some days for stuff like holidays or vacations or other things that my family is like, dude, it would be nice to see your face. Um, so <laughs> I try to, and especially, well, especially when I was making this year's schedule, I did cut out weekends. I, I do not have things scheduled on Saturdays and Sundays to be writing or to have stuff due. Um, so, but yeah, it, it really helped me keep on track and I mean, it's intense. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, um, well, just hearing about this, though, I mean, I guess there's a lot of people that are, you know, turned on by athletes and whatever. I'm just I'm just turned on by spreadsheets and Turn calendars. <laughs> yeah, this is like uh, porn for me right now. I mean, you have a calendar and I hope it's OK if I talk about it um, where you have washi tape all oh, over yeah. it with yeah. all your projects and editings and writing and. And actually, it came up in another podcast that I just started, uh, the HBIC Nation podcast. We were talking about calendars, and I ref I didn't call you up by name, um, <laughs> but I'm like, there's this calendar, and it's really sexy, and I covet it like like a speed skater thigh. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> I want I want to sink my teeth into your washi tape calendar. Um, is that TMI? I don't know. No, um, I think that's great because I also will look at some people's organizational systems and I'll be like that that is yeah that I'll be something... in my bunk like thank you <laughs> <laughs> there's just something so calming and it's it's inspirational and aspirational and calming in a way to be like all right that person has their crap together yeah yeah, yeah. that looks good you know like, that's what it looks like oh okay um I mean I think that can be a little misleading though <laughs> <laughs> so one thing about it's my fantasy Tamsin it's I, my fantasy I don't want to ruin everything for you but um and there's on my spreadsheet there's you know you can have the different tabs and so one of them is the schedule and one of them is you know the the word count and so I can actually keep track of like oh well this is my schedule am am I actually keeping up with what I'm supposed to be doing um and sometimes I get behind and so I try every day to highlight the word count and it's green. If I'm meeting my word count, it goes to yellow. If I can be up to 2000 words behind and it can be yellow. And after that, it, it turns red. I make it turn red <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, that's not good. I don't like red. So I have to fix this. You finished all of this, this five book series. It's all coming out right now. Would you do it again or would you recommend it to someone else? I would never recommend it to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and I have made it very clear to my agent, um, Courtney, who is wonderful and who helped me stay sane through <laughs> the writing of these books and the editing of these books. 
Um, but I said to her, I was like, Courtney, let's never do this again. And she was like, okay. <laughs> I know of at least two other things you're working on. I mean, what's the next for you? So after the snow and ice games is done, um, I actually have a release coming out in an anthology with a bunch of other authors. It's called Exposed, and it's um, a crossover anthology. But it's the concept is, um, you know, all those like hot naked guy charity calendars. Uh huh. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. All my attention <laughs> right now. <laughs> and you know the Tumblr of um, hot guys reading. Yeah. <gasps> okay. So, tell me. <laughs> so on hot March... naked guys reading. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you hot are naked so people. right. Or hot you naked are people. So right. Okay. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's hot naked guys reading, and they're doing a charity calendar shoot and the idea is that the people in the photos are all sort of tops in their industry and my novella um, so it's 10 novellas and it's we have this amazing slate of authors um, Amy Jo Cousins, Karen Stivali, uh, Robin Covington, Karen Booth, um, Tiffany Rice, like Santino Hassel. it's just I could go on, but basically everybody is awesome. Um, and so but... how, when do they get naked and read books? Or how does that... <laughs> well, so this, this, I am writing a spinoff series of the band members from License to Game, which is the boy band in Love on the Tracks. And so Zane, um, the hero in Love on the Tracks, obviously gets his happy ending with Rowan, the loser. Um, but then he still has four band members who, who need to get their own happy endings. And so the the first spinoff book is going to be in Exposed. Um, it's called Thrown Off Track. And that is going to actually be two of the band members who, who fall for each other. So that's pretty fun. So what's crazy is that when I said what's next, I know you have two new books. Neither one oh. of those is what you were talking about now. Um, yeah. And so it's okay. But that just proves my point that you were like the hardest working person I know. And oh. no no offense to any other writers out there, but I would be, any other person would be like, I know you're working on these two other projects. And you're like, no, I've got this other series. I have this other thing. <laughs> yeah. So that is coming out March 13th. And then on June 1st, um, this past year, I contributed to the Camp Firefly Falls continuity, and I wrote an FF book um, called In Her Court that recently got named as one of the Lesbian Review's top 15 romances of 2017, which was amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, that was such a nice surprise. And... Uh, this is one with that has cosplay or cosplay in it, right? Cosplay, yeah, yeah, cosplay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're two really geeky, geeky girls, and there is some um, 
Star Wars and Ghostbusters Ghost Planet. <laughs> and they're scientists. One of them. I have a big smile on my face. No yeah. one can see it. I have a big yeah. smile. <laughs> yeah, one of them is a geologist grad student, and the other one is a um, physics professor in their day jobs when they're not hanging out at summer camp. So there's that one, and I'm guessing the other one you were talking about is the um, FF Emma retelling yes, that's coming yes. out in August. I guess it was. That, the yeah. ones I was, I was definitely <laughs> thinking of was Camp Firefly and Emma, and then I knew you, you were still involved with um, the Rogue ones, but I didn't know if you were actually still writing those or just organizing them. But yeah, so yeah. the Emma one... Um, I was also encouraged to ask you about, because I know a lot of people are really intrigued with this. It's a retelling of Emma, correct? Yes. Yeah. So it's a contemporary retelling of Emma, and um, it's with Riptide. And Riptide is doing this amazing series called Classics Queered. And the idea is that authors are taking all of these classic stories and retelling them with queer protagonists and giving queer protagonists happily ever afters. Um, Because so often um, in sort of classic literature, like the existence of queer people was just not even acknowledged or, you know, you would find them as sort of tragic figures or figures to be mocked or, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I love this idea. I'm so in for all this. I am so excited about it. And so, um, when, yeah. When, do they start, when does the series start coming out? Has it already started? No. I don't think it started coming out. Okay. I would, I would have heard yet. I think. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm not sure when it does start coming out. I'm going to be mad if it comes out and I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be loud about it. You will not Yay. be able to miss it, Lindsay. Um, so, yeah, mine... Um, is called If I Loved You Less, um, which is a reference to one of my favorite lines from the book. And I mean, the idea is really that we want to make these accessible. We want to make them fun. We want to make them um, resonate with people right now. And so they're, they're all contemporary retellings. And mine happens to take place in Hawaii. And my Emma... Uh, is a she's a surfer she helps her dad run a surf shop and my nightly is a baker you know I'm coming to I mean just speaking of coming to classics from a different angle or a different new fresh perspective I mean I watched the Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma with my girls when they were little when they got old enough and they really they liked it but at the end, I'm like, okay, so what'd you think? And one of my daughters was like, it was really good. She was a mean girl. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had never thought of it that way. But through the eyes of a kid today, you don't make someone cry. You don't, you know, bully them into doing what you want. And um, I thought that was, you know, just a really interesting example of how each generation is going to come at this with a little bit different perspective. Well, and I think, I mean, even Jane Austen had said, you know, no one is going to love this heroine but me. 
Um, she <laughs> didn't think that Emma was particularly likable. And it's true. There's a lot of things about her behavior um, that is problematic and that you look at and you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> like don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of it is that I mean, part of the reason that I like Emma is that she is genuinely good-hearted. You know, she does have what she thinks are people's best interests at heart. And I think, too, that she she just had so many people in her life who, because she was wealthy, because she was beautiful, and because, you know, she got a free pass on so much of her behavior. One of the things that was really important to her in finding a partner was someone who would call her on those things. And Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the things that she finds in Knightley is that his approval is not easily won. She doesn't just get it because she's young and pretty and rich. Um, You know, okay, that's nice, but that's not enough for him. She needs to work harder. She needs to be a better person in order to win his respect and approval. That was one of the parts of the story that that kind of resonated with me. You know, to be with someone who makes you want to be a better version of yourself, who encourages you, who supports you in that way. Um, I think that's something that we all want, is someone who, who makes you better um, or who, you know, creates, Um, circumstances in which it's possible for you to make yourself better. Um, And that's one of my favorite parts about Emma. What's something that you always recommend or an author or something that you would recommend, especially if someone wants to read more LGBTQ authors or books? So I would say KJ Charles is my go-to recommendation for, well, first of all, anybody who enjoys historical romance, but especially if you're looking for a historical romance with queer protagonists. I think she is one of the best writers in the business right now. She's really incredible. Um, The first book of hers that I read and that I still love um, is Think of England. I love that title. I will always love that title. Oh, it's so good. Um, and she has a few other series. She also does some paranormal stuff. Um, but everything of hers I've read, she's one of my one click authors, you know, like I see her name on something and I'm basically like, Oh, yep. I'm going to read that. Um, so pretty much anything she puts out is kind of an auto buy for me. And, and given that I don't have a lot of time that, that means something, you know, there's, there's some weight there. Um, Mm -hmm. So she's fantastic. Um, My critique partner, Amy Jo Cousins is also a wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, And another one who seems to put out like a book all the time. (laughs) I can't keep up. (laughs) Yeah. um, She puts out a lot of stuff and she's had stuff in the rogue anthologies and she just released a book and, um, yeah, and she is also, if you're looking for another recommendation for queer romance, um, she writes 
MM and MF and FF. She's all over the map as well. Um, so she's really great. If you want um, historical, more historical romance, um, Kat Sebastian is putting out a lot of great MM romance right now. She's another good one. Um, Layla Rain, I had the fortune to read her book Relay, um, which is more queer sports romance. And her book is about um, swim team team members. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the second book in that duology, which is called Medley. Um, so I really enjoyed Relay. And it was interesting to see how someone worked sort of in the same parameters of, you know, queer Olympic sports romance as I had, but did something totally different. So whereas the Snow and Ice Games books take place almost exclusively during the two weeks of the game, there might be a little bit on either side, but really they're, the bulk of the story is taking place at the game. Um, Relay takes place completely before the Olympics. Um, so that yeah, was... especially since your uh, series was inspired by the Michael Phelps. Yes, yes, <laughs> more swimming. Um, and Layla has also written a really well-reviewed um, romantic suspense series, which I haven't gotten my hands on yet, but that is on my list of when I do have a minute to, to do some reading of what I would like to read. She's, she's on there. Um, and let's see, um, Santino Hassel, he uh, also has queer sports romance out right now. He uh, has a football series, and I haven't read the second one yet, but I just... Which kind of football? Oh, American football. Okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> nope, that's a fair, fair question. So he, um, the first book in his series is Illegal Contact, and the second yeah. book oh, yeah. is called Down by Contact, and that just came mm -hmm. out. Um, and I just read the first one, and I, I found that book a little slow to start, and I, one of the heroes, I was kind of like, dude, like, come on. But then around the halfway mark, I was like, oh, <laughs> because one of my really soft, squishy parts is heroes who are hot messes, but just really love their partner so much. Um, one of my favorite, favorite romances ever um, is by Annabelle Joseph, and it's MF, and it's... Uh, very kinky. So if, if you don't like BDSM, please don't read this book. <laughs> um, but it's called Comfort Object. And I don't reread a lot because I, I don't really have time. And also I know some people um, really love rereading and I've, I've never really been one of them. So when I say that I've read this book at least three times, um, that's very unusual for me. Um, but Jeremy Gray is sort of the epitome of hot mess heroes who are just completely head over heels for their heroines. And he's such mm -hmm. a disaster and he loves her so much and it makes him act so 
ridiculously stupid. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to check that one out. I have no idea why this is such a... I don't know why I love those stories, but there you go. <laughs> everyone everyone has their thing. Everyone you know? has a thing. Yep, that's mine. <laughs> um, well, I could yeah. talk to you about these books all day long, but I think we need to get to the lightning round. Are you ready? I guess so. <laughs> okay. I have some special questions for you. Oh, great. <laughs> just, just for you. All right. And, and one of them was suggested by another mutual friend. Oh. So here we go. <laughs> Unicorns or mermaids? Narwhals. Because <laughs> <laughs> it combines the best of both worlds. And they're real. Washi tape or spreadsheets? Washi tape. Because you can make spreadsheets out of washi tape. <laughs> <laughs> You're inventive. I am. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to see what you'll do with this one. Dark or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate. That's easy. <laughs> yeah. If you were like, I combine them together and make semi, I was like, okay, okay, Tamsin. Semi-sweet chocolate. Yeah, no, dark chocolate for sure is easy. Coffee or tea? Tea. When your phone rings, do you answer it? Absolutely not. How do you usually waste time on the internet? Oh, how don't I waste time on the internet? Um, I love Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I could be on Etsy all day looking for new washi tape. I also have a collection of Funko Pops, so I'm always looking for new Funko Pops to collect. I limit my collection by only having awesome women Funko Pops. Otherwise, they would take over my whole house. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, on your next well-deserved vacation, <laughs> are you going to the mountains or the beach? Uh, we are going to Arizona, so I'm going to the desert. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Born and raised New Englander. Do you prefer abs, forearms, or a chiseled jaw on a hero in the cover? Forearms. Definitely. Are you more likely to buy a cover, a book cover with abs on it or a beach? Um, probably neither. <laughs> um, I don't, I think if you look at my covers, you'll see that there aren't a whole lot of abs um, and there aren't a whole lot of beaches. And that's because no. I'm, I'm picky about my covers. But um, if you... Yeah, those are... You have great covers. Thank you. Well, yes. Lexi has done some of them, so we can give yes. her some credit for that. Well, um, even your new, the new series are, like, you you gave the cover designer props for that. And, and the one, um, the Fire and Ice one, um, don't, one of the heroines looks like Gina Gershon, doesn't, is that just me? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Does she? I, I well I think so. That's that's who I'm like looking at it going, dang, Tamsin got Gina Gershon. All right. The very important and last question. What are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? I have bad feelings about that. <laughs> Good bad or bad bad? No, I have bad, bad <laughs> feelings about that. I am um, you know, I I absolutely believe very strongly that people should read 
however and whatever they want. But for me, um, part of what I love about books is the unexpected. And I guess in romance, you could sort of make the argument that by picking up a romance, you're always sort of turning to the last page first because you know that there's going to be a happy ending. Like by definition, you Mm -hmm. at the end of the story, you will get a happy ending. Um, But one of the things I love about romance is that in between, I think the best writers can get you to a place where you truly cannot see how on God's green earth they're going to make this work out into a happy ending. Um, And so I think for me, part of the journey is, is that feeling of, Oh my God, how is this going to work? And I would hate for that to be spoiled. Like that, that feeling for me to be spoiled um, by figuring out like, Oh, how, how did they make this work out? Um, Cause that's the part I enjoy the most is, is a little bit of the, the torturous part. <laughs> I'm not a masochist. Why do you ask? <laughs> Uh, that might be a great way to end this. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. I know you'll probably be back on to talk about your next 15 books. I hope in, so. Um, in whatever new series you've got coming up next. But thank you so much, Tamsin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. And if you want to share your love of a book with the world, you can go to our Facebook page and leave a comment. Or, this is the fun part, I have an actual phone number in our show notes. Call, leave a message about a book that you love and you want the world to know about, and I will try to play your voicemail on the air so that you can be a part of this podcast, which, after all, is all about reading and readers. This is Lindsay Emery on Women With Books. Keep reading.